Ah, ja. Tjek, tjek, tjek. All right, let's uh, start off in a word of prayer. Um, God, we come before you right now, um, and we pray uh, that your words will be um, effective. It will be um, spoken uh, loudly in our hearts, and, uh, and that will be revealing uh, if there's anything that needs to uh, be shown and that it would change anything within us that needs to be changed. And um, I pray that uh, your spirit would preach a better message uh, than what I'm about to preach here. And so, uh, Jesus, we, uh, we look forward to hearing you and drawing closer to you during this time. And so, God, we uh, pray this all in your son's name. Amen. So last week, Pastor Jason, he challenged the teaching uh, of the prosperity gospel. And he mentioned that, that God, um, you know, through the, the prosperity gospel, God usually rewards your giving with prosperity, and typically that's, uh, you know, financially. And, and that's one major component of the prosperity gospel. And, and, but along with financial prosperity, you're also promised good health and, and a good life. You're promised to have, uh, you know, bount, bountiful things and just... Um, and you also hear the prosperity gospel called, you know, the health and wealth gospel. We hear things like you can, you be, if you become a Christian, then you're promised a good life. Uh, you might run into some troubles, but you can easily have victory over it. And, you know, name your victory and you can claim that victory in your life. Uh, you want it, it's yours. And whatever you want in life, you name it and you claim it. And, and those are some of the things that we hear about the prosperity gospel. And, and, and what they'll say is that if you follow God, um, you know, whatever you want, you can have. And, uh, and this is the health and wealth gospel, the promise of a good life when you follow God. The health and wealth gospel tells you uh, that you can have a full life, a life filled with possession, a life filled with the favor of God. You know, but as believers, I, 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 we know that this isn't exactly true. And I believe most of us, if not all of us, we, we know that we're not exempt from suffering. I mean, we all go through seasons of life where we just need relief. Uh, we need the relief from being, uh, you know, kind of beat up by, 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 by life. There are days where things just don't go our way, or maybe there are weeks when, when things just don't go our way. And, and maybe days or weeks or months, you just kind of feel hopeless in a situation. Um, in, in times like these where you feel hopeless or in times like these, we, and I like to say our minds naturally, our minds and our hearts don't naturally go to why is God letting these things happen to me? Now, I don't believe that there, there's any of us in here that kind of holds to the idea of health and wealth gospel, but sometimes our hearts and minds will naturally kind of lean in that direction. We might not blame God for the hard things in life, but maybe we expect God to do something about our situations. Maybe, maybe we expect God to fix uh, what we're going through, to, to fix a bad situation. Or maybe we don't expect God to kind of, um, you know, to bless us with all the toys and trinkets we want in life, but wouldn't it be nice if we had some blessings in life? I mean, there's this, there's, this kind of expectation of 
God acting and serving us in a way, in a certain way that we, we like and we hope for. And God doesn't, but, but sometimes God doesn't always fulfill that expectation and or fulfill that hope. And so that's kind of what we're kind of dealing with here today in our passage where there are some people in Malachi that Malachi was writing to um, who were unhappy with, with God because he didn't, ex- he didn't meet their expectation. Because God didn't meet your expectation, Malachi's readers, um, you know, because of what God had, you know, how he didn't respond to them, because of him not meeting their expectation, they became apathetic in following God. And say they, they saw no reason to continue and to follow God, to serve God. And so what we'll talk about today uh, and, and to, through today's passage is how we may deal with the apathy to be obedient to him. Um, the, the, how we may deal with the apathy to, uh, when, when, when we don't want to follow God. Uh, in order for us to overcome this apathy, we're going to look at the three people uh, that this passage talks about. And specifically, we're going to look at the heart of, the first thing, we're going to look at the heart of those who don't serve God. Secondly, we're going to look at the heart of those who do serve God. And when, lastly, we're going to look at the heart of God. And so the first thing we see here is that we're going to look at the heart of people who don't serve God. And so read with me in Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, How have we spoken against you? You have said, It is vain to serve God. What is the profit, profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So the first thing you and I need to see here uh, is that God uh, is saying that their words have been hard against him. Uh, and, and so this is more than just kind of calling God some names. This is more than just, you know, the Israelites saying something mean about God. Uh, but rather, Malachi here, he's, he's criticizing the Israelites. Uh, and he, what he's saying here is that the Israelites are actually criticizing God himself. And, there, and, and when, he, when Malachi says that, you know, or actually when God says, your words have been harsh against me, um, there is this tone of rebellion. There is this tone of overruling God um, when, you know, when, when he says, your words have been hard against me. And so now no one is actually going to rule over God. You know, just like last week in, 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 in the passage last week, no one can actually rob God. Uh, but what he is saying here is that people, um, that what they're doing is they're putting themselves over God. And so to them, God serves their purposes. And to them, God is there for them. Uh, and, and that is at the heart of those who don't serve God. They expect God to be their servant. And this is why God quotes them saying, it is, it is vain to serve God. They don't really care about serving God. They only care about how they may profit from serving God. Um, they, 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 and they only care about how God is able to bless them or how God is supposed to give them what they, uh, you know, give them things um, because they follow God's commands. So they care more about the blessings of God than God himself. And that's what's going on in the hearts of the Israelites uh, when they say, you know, it is vain to, to, to serve God. For the Israelites, God's worth comes down to what God gives them. And if God does not give them what, he, you know, what they want, then God is worthless to them. 
They are basically saying, since we didn't receive anything, then God is not worth pursuing. To them, in their hearts, God is not even worth obeying. You know, our, our, our circumstances, sometimes they determine our relationship with God. Or I should say, how close we feel with God. You know, our circumstances, they shape our view and they shape our perception of, who, of how God is and how God acts and how God loves us and how God cares for us. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's, it's easier to kind of agree with the people here in, in Malachi. And I'm not saying that we can or you know, we, we should justify what they're saying. But what I am saying is that it's easy to justify the thoughts and words of the grumbling people uh, in our minds. And then again, our hearts naturally will go towards blaming God when anything goes wrong. You know, we ask how God can do this or how, why, God, why doesn't he make things better or why doesn't he fix this or fix that. But that's because sometimes our hearts expect God to be our servant. So, of course, that's not what God wants and desires in our hearts. So God shows us what he, what he does desire in our hearts, desire what our hearts to be like. And so that leads us to our second point here today. We're going to look at this. We're going to look at the heart of the people who do serve God. And so read again with me in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. And it says, Those who fear the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention, and we heard and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of, the, uh, of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Then once more you will shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Malachi uh, contrasts those who serve God and those who don't, or who don't serve God and those who do. And he, he contrasts the righteous and the wicked in this passage. So again, what makes this group different? What makes the people who serve God uh, different from those who don't serve God? Besides obvious of not serving and serving, but rather here, what is, what is the heart of those who do serve? In the righteous and the one who serves God, they're going through the same thing, right? They, like, this is the same group of people. They're, they're, the same, they're going through the same situation as everyone in, in, in the community. So how is it that, that their circumstances are the same, but they produce such totally different attitudes? And Malachi says that they are the ones who fear the Lord and esteemed his name. So the heart of people who serve God is one that lifts up the name of God. So instead of putting themselves over God, they understand where they belong. They understand that their proper they, they understand their proper placement before God. They understand that God does not serve them and he is not for, there for their purposes. And I think that this is why there's such a big contrast and responses towards the situation that they're in. You know, again, think back to what the Israelites are going through and right now in this time. Right? They're they're in this spiritual lull in the situation, right? Um, the the glory of God has not returned even though they have rebuilt the temple. And they're, they're not this great nation that they were promised to be. And they're, they're oppressed by the people around them. And, and, you know, they aren't seeing the fullnesses of God's promises. You know, it'll be centuries before they'll see the Messiah. I mean, they, won't know, they don't know that it'll be centuries. But at the same time, they don't have a Messiah. They're waiting for a Messiah, and the Messiah isn't there. So it's easy to turn from God because of all these things. It's easy to think, where is God in all of this? 
I mean, it's no wonder why some point out that evildoers put God to the test and they escape. Because for them, God seems so absent in their life. But the heart of those who serve God, they understand that God is not there for their purposes, uh, but rather it's the other way around. They understand that, 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 that it's not about your circumstances and what you're going through, because ultimately, ultimately what, what matters is not your circumstances, but what matters is, is the God who is over your circumstances. What ultimately matters is how we approach God and, 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 how, we, and how we approach God, you know, that will determine you know, how we deal with our circumstances. So, and so I, I want to ask you to turn to Psalm chapter 13 with me. So turn, I'll give you a minute here, a few moments to, to turn to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm chapter 13 says this. It says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes and lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation, and I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We can either be like the people in Malachi 13, 3.13. It says, I have no gain from following God. And like the people in Psalm, it says, you know, I, I, I barely experience him. I want nothing to do, you know, understand, and, I, and I want nothing to do with him. Or understand, you know, I understand that we have, um, sorry, we, we see here uh, through the psalm, you know, the psalmist can go, easily go, you know, I want nothing to do with him. You know, I, I, feel the, I don't feel the presence of God. I feel like he's forgotten me. I feel like he's hiding and I don't see him. So we can go from one end and go, you know what? I want nothing to do with him because I have no gain from that. Or we can go and we can have the understanding uh, that we have nowhere else to go besides God. Because even at the end of Psalm chapter 13, um, you know, he, he goes, I have nothing else in life and I, I have trust in your steadfast love. I have nowhere else to go than besides his love for us and I will rejoice in that. So either we abandon God in our circumstances because we feel like we don't know if he's there. We abandon God because we, we don't know if he's responded to us and we, we abandon God because we feel like we haven't received from him. Or we live in a way knowing that, hey, God has not abandoned us even though we don't feel him. Knowing that he has not left us, knowing, you know, knowing that I, you know, even though we are going through whatever we're going through in life. And that is the fearing of the Lord and esteeming, esteeming of his name. And that is at the heart of those who understand, uh, who understand God and, and those are, uh, who are lifting him up. And that is at the heart of those who are serving God. They understand that who he is. They understand that they have nowhere to go. 
And so here, the last thing that we want to see and what we want to look at is the heart of God. The last thing we see is, is, is God's heart for his people. And I believe that if we understand the heart of God and if we understand uh, God's heart for his people, and that, that that should draw us away even more from being apathetic towards loving and serving God. And so let's look back at Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention, and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. In verse 17, it says this, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, and in a day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. The people who feared him and esteemed his name, uh, he says to them, they are mine. They are mine. They are my treasured possession. And so I want to help you to see what Malachi means when he uses the phrase treasured possession. In, in, in Exodus 19.5, Exodus 19.5, he uses this phrase and it says, Now therefore you will <clears throat> indeed Obey my voice and keep my commandment, and you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. In Deuteronomy 7, chapter 6, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Deuteronomy 14, 2, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possessions out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. And that is the picture here that Malachi is painting and, and, and using when he uses the word treasured possession. He is saying that out of all the people of the earth, these people were God's treasured possession. Not the other people, not the other nations, but you right here. And for some reason, when I was thinking about this passage, when I think about this phrase, it reminded me of that scene in Toy Story where it was the, the, the claw scene where they're, they're um, with all the little aliens and the machine, um, and then all of a sudden the claw comes down, and they all look at the claw, and the claw chooses the one little alien, right? And and, and, and I kind of imagine, you know, out of all the little aliens, that one gets chosen. And this might be a little bit of a stretch, and you know, but I, I do hope that you see that God is wanting you, uh, what God is wanting to say to you. I, I hope you see that God, you know, I hope that you hear that, that I hope you hear that God is saying to you that that you are His pri uh, prized possession, that you are His people. So there is a delight in his own people. Uh, there is a delight in us and from God. And so we, we, we sing that song, he, is hold, he Will Hold Me Fast. And in that second verse, he says, those he saves are his delight. He will hold me fast. There is a joy and love God has for his people. And from the very beginning of Malachi, God starts off by saying, I have loved you. And so he hasn't moved on from that. He hasn't changed his ways and he hasn't moved on to different, a different message. But he's saying, I loved you and I still love you and you are my prized possession. You are my treasured possession. And in the passage, it even goes on to use a human example to make his point of being a treasured possession. 
You know, just as a, and it says, just as a man would spare a child, in the same way God saves his treasured possession, just as you delight in your children, so does God when it comes to you. You know, when Astrid was born, a friend had asked me, he texted me, he goes, man, are you in love right now? And then I responded back to him, to be honest, I, I, I'm not. You know, I, I'm just trying to survive. And, you know, after having, having Astrid, I didn't necessarily feel like a father immediately after that. You know, it was just more of a, I'm just trying to keep her alive. I'm just trying to just changing diapers and making sure she goes to sleep. And there wasn't much of, I'm a father to her, but more just, I was more of a, a caretaker. Um, you know, it wasn't really till when Asher began to kind of respond to us, right? It wasn't began. It, it was. It started to change when, uh, you know, when she started to smile, when she started to laugh at our funny faces, when there was, uh, you know, when there was a more of a response to who we were. You know, there, there, there's so much joy in all the new things that Astra does. And, and I'm still waiting on a day where she's able just to kind of hug us or maybe kiss us. You know, I'm just always like, you know, kiss me, kiss daddy, kiss daddy, and then nothing happens, right? And so one day I'm hoping that, you know, I can't wait for that moment where, where she is able to. And, um, but, you know, as Astra gets older and older, there's, there's more delight in her. And, but that's, that's the human way of being the father, you know, I had to, I kind of had to, had to wait till she was a little more responsive. And, you know, I had, I had to wait till she was a little more cuter, you know, if anything. You know, to be honest, I was, we were, you know, when she was born, she was not the cutest or, or prettiest little thing. And, and so, but, but now she's hopefully, well, to me, she's cute. And, you know, and, and, and there's a little more delight in that. And, you know, but, you know, it is now she's starting to laugh. And, and now where she's starting to respond to us. And that's just, that's just a human way, a human father way of looking at this. But, but that's not what, it, what it's like when it comes to God and us being, a, and being his children. He doesn't, he, does, he doesn't just choose to love us whenever we get better. But rather, he loves us when we're ugly. He loves us when we're not cute. He loves us when, you know, when, when he actually loves us when we were enemies of his he, he loves us when we speak harsh words towards him, when we have harsh attitudes towards him. You know, he made us his children when we were his enemies. And so this is the love and delight God has for his children. It goes way beyond the love and delight of a, uh, of a human father. You know, God doesn't want begrudging submission. He doesn't want us you know, to, to kind of just, oh, I'm supposed to follow you and, and so I will. But rather, instead of begrudging submission, he wants us to be delighted in him. Uh, he wants us to be delighted in him just as much as we are a delight to him. And so his children, his children are those who fear him. His children are those who fear him and esteem his name. But first, we need to see. Uh, first, before we can even get there, before we understand, we, we, we need to see that he, that that he delights in us. We need to see that he delights in us first before we're able to delight in him. The gospel says that we don't obey and pursue God because in, in order that God might love us, but it's kind of the opposite. The gospel says that we love and obey God because he has first loved us. So if we don't, if we don't see that God loves us, and if we don't see that we are his treasured possession, 
And I, I, I think if we don't see those things, then we're going to kind of be stuck in this area where, yeah, we are going to be apathetic. We are going to be apathetic in, in loving God and serving God and, and believing God is not for us and believing that God doesn't want anything to do with us and, and believing that, that, that he doesn't care for us. But I think if we see that he delights in us, but if, 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 and I believe that if we see God's heart for us, if we see that God loves us and cares for us, and I think that then and only then can our hearts be drawn closer and closer towards, uh, towards, uh, uh, towards loving Him and serving Him in our lives. So my hope for you today, um, church, is that you know that you are a treasured possession uh, of God. Let's pray. Um, God, we come before you now. Um, again, and uh, I just was taking these next few moments of wanting to hear your voice. And I pray that, that, that those who are here, uh, those who have just heard your message, would hear that you love them, would hear that you have sent your son to die on a cross for them, I pray that those here who, who needs to hear your voice, who needs to hear your, 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 your loving kindness, who needs to hear your tenderness uh, of how you care for us, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us here in these moments. I pray that you would help us to see that we are a delight to you and that you, uh, you delight in us and that, that, that we are your treasured possessions. So God, I pray that we will see just what it means to be your child, what it means to love you, what it means to, uh, to honor you in our lives. I pray that you would remove any, if there's any apathy in our hearts towards loving you and serving you, I pray that you would remove those. So God, I thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.